Hello and welcome to the Riff Raff and Rory podcast. On this podcast, I aim to inspire change by speaking to people that I relate to and we'll be discussing a range of subjects and topics including trauma, adversity, healing and mental health and well-being. I cherish my inner being and I'm on a journey to stay grounded, living in the present, reflecting on the past and looking forward to the future. So on today's show, the very first episode of the Riff Raff and Rory podcast, we're very lucky to be joined by two very fine gentlemen who have given us their time. First up, we have Steve Phillip. Steve, over the last 20 years, has been a successful consultant, trainer and keynote speaker in the world of sales and marketing. On the 4th of December 2019, he received a call which would change his life. His son, Jordan, has taken his own life. Faced with the choice of either sitting on a sofa with a bottle or creating something to prevent other families from having to experience the trauma of losing a loved one to suicide, Steve chose the latter. With a LinkedIn following of more than 23,000 people, his articles and posts have engaged a global audience of millions. Early in 2020, Steve established the Jordan Legacy, CIC to provide support to those struggling with their mental health or considering suicide. Whilst accepting a position as head of mission at Champion Health UK Limited, a rapidly growing tech and client services company in the world of workplace employee well-being, Steve's lived experience of suicide combined with his reputation as a highly engaging speaker will help us understand the importance of looking after your own mental well-being and in turn looking out for those you care about. Steve's details can be found in the episode bio below and also on today's episode we're joined very fortunately by um, Mike McCarthy. Now Michael has been a former Sky New Bureau Chief North of England and an ex-presenter and reporter and producer of the BBC. Um, he's worked around the world, uh, including war zones in Iraq, Afghanistan, um, and is now a media consultant and trainer. Um, Mike, very unfortunately, has in very recent times lost his own son, Ross, who was 31, who took his own life in February earlier this year. So these two gentlemen have very willingly given us this hour of their time spend some time sharing their story so let's get into it listening to the sound of ladders banging and then silence Struggle, dry throat, numbness, swinging. Intense pain, pressure, panic, and adrenaline. Clouds everywhere. Lost, panic, nerves, scared, sadness, loss, terrified. Looking, peeking, oncoming traffic, train tracks, vibrations, energetic, focus, clarity, light, escape. Jumping, breath, launch, flash, dive. Suicide is all of the above. Serious issues and questions. Disclaimer that I'm only telling my story. I am not a professional. Okay, welcome to the first episode of the Riff Raff and Rory podcast. Um... Today, I am honored to be joined by two very pre- prestigious guests who have their own very, very difficult subjects that we will go through and unpack their own stories. But before we get into it, uh, Steve and Mike, uh, 
thanks very much for having this time to uh, speak to us this afternoon. No problem. Yeah, thanks for inviting us, uh, Rory. Not at all. Listen, um, my podcast essentially has brought on huge um, emotion for me going through this journey. And for the background of the story, maybe what we might like do following the introductions that people would have listened to is maybe do you both want to just give your own respective, I suppose, summary of where we are and then we can let the conversation flow from there. So whichever one of you guys wants to take the introduction first, uh, that's an open floor. After you, Steve. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sadly, I probably had a bit more, bit more practice at this, but um, yeah, sure, Rory. Um, yeah, my, my background is that uh, I've been working as a um, consultant, uh, director of my own company for uh, um, a number, number of years, and uh, uh, in December of two thousand and nineteen, having worked with a client in the Midlands in the UK, um, I uh, returned to my car to get a call from my son Jordan's girlfriend. And in that moment uh, of receiving that call, Charlotte told me that Jordan had taken his own life. Um, she'd just arrived at the house. And as you can probably imagine, my world kind of fell apart from, from that moment, really. And uh, in the ensuing weeks and, and months, as we tried to kind of make sense of what had gone on and uh, deal with the aftermath as you do and the, the knock-on effect that uh, I'm sure you know Mike is, is experiencing now in the very early days. Um, I decided that I kind of had to do something. I, I really um, had to get my story out there because I felt other people shouldn't have to experience what we were going through and that really all started by, by publishing an article on LinkedIn that in kind of LinkedIn terms went viral um, and out of that came a lot of people reaching out to share an interest in my story and, and also people who were struggling. And I think out of that particular eventuality, um, it led me to decide that I needed to create something that would maybe help and support and signpost people um, in a number of ways, those bereaved by suicide and those who were struggling with their mental health and within really probably about three and a half, four months, we'd created the Jordan Legacy uh, and had a website up and running. Fantastic. That is absolutely unbelievable. And he'd be very proud. Um, and again, sympathies, absolutely. But at the same time, he'd be a very, very proud man um, listening to that story. Great introduction. Michael? Yeah, uh, some similarities with Steve, but uh, as he said, he's sort of you know further down the line uh, in one way. Um, we got a call, uh, my wife and I, in the middle of the night on the 21st of February this year, and um, it was from uh, Ross's fiance, also called Charlotte, and um, she told us that um, Ross was dead, and we drove up to their house uh, two hours away from where we live, and um, yeah, uh, discovered that Ross had left a, a, a six page farewell letter. Um, and in that letter, he explained um, what he was doing. He didn't exactly go into detail about why uh, he addressed each member of the family and close friends to. And um, since then, We've just been sort of doing what we can to raise awareness. It was one, one of the things that Ross asked us to do in his, in his letter. Uh, he'd been uh, suffering from severe depression for a long time and had tried various uh, methods to find salvation and recently thought that uh, he, he'd cracked it um, only for the uh, depression to come back. Uh, we'll never know, but we think maybe that the, the last straw for him was that um, after trying for so long over 10 years that um, he couldn't face it anymore when it uh, when it suddenly came back um, so yeah we've been and, and again like Steve I posted something on LinkedIn expecting to get uh, a couple of responses maybe from from people who found themselves in a similar situation. And uh, 
was just sort of amazed at a the sort of love and support that's out there uh, and and sort of came our way, uh, and also just the sort of the, the level of the reaction. And at last count, there were more three more than three quarters of a million views, and it's just made me realise just a uh, how massive this problem is. Uh, how much people want to talk about it uh, and how much need there is for greater openness in dealing with this subject. That is a fantastic uh, thread and we'll pick on that point and expand on it. Um, and maybe since you have been both very willingly and again, Mike Ross would be so, so, so positive in that intro because I think as we've spoken before and as we've put together the press release for this podcast and um, Steve just to bring up speed like myself and Mike connected and he put together a very lovely piece for me uh, in my own journey so that might be a nice way to bring in my own um, story so my own suicide uh, journey rolls through 2019 and 2020 uh, both around not sorry not long or in around Patrick's Day kind of February rolling into call it early March um, both times uh, were very serious, uh, 19 less serious than 20, uh, but respectively both got intensely enough that um, the highest level, I suppose, of danger I was in in 2019 was a noose was around my neck and I was ladder gone, swung and came off and landed on a table, thank God. <clears throat> and 2020, I jumped out in front of a train here uh, on the main train line and land on the tracks uh, and all of these things, as you said, attempted God knows how many times um, in the manner that, thank God, I wasn't successful um, and very fortunate that I have been here to anchor the ship. Now, in fairness, it has impacted me massively, but at the same time, as you said, my, the intensity that this brings to yourself and even I had a day like this yesterday, it's like a storm and the internal turmoil or external, be it pre or post event or, or just in general, the need for support around suicide is absolutely paramount in the sense that it's just so serious. In that level, why I got there, just in a very quick summary, is due to my own emotional turmoil that I'm building out essentially from my childhood and genetic as well as environment and biological factors and all the rest of it. But essentially, the thing I think, it's like, you're given your cards at your dealt. My life turned up on its life, like end, as you said, two years ago, and it's never gone back. And it never will. I don't want it to, because it's been one of the hardest chapters. But from what, sorry, what's come from that rather is probably the most fruitful level of a second chance. So it really does give you hope, I suppose, as you said, like the love and compassion that I even think of listening to your stories. And I'd say like, this is probably one of the most immediate things that happened. Like both of you respectively posted on LinkedIn to where we are now, this conversation connected through nearly that ripple effect. Um, and even from that level of what may have been very negative what I love to do, sorry, what I, what I love to do is nearly with the light of hope. Like even in Ireland this week, we have a big event with uh, one of our big charities called Darkness into Light. So if I'm even to lead in with the first question, if it was a darkness into light chapter, <clears throat> what does that phrase mean to you? I think for me, because it's, it's uh, you know, something that I've been working on a lot this year is that, you know, initially when we created the Jordan Legacy, it was about suicide prevention, about improving mental health. Um, and um, it focused very much on the, the, the practical act of, of, of suicide in many respects. And how do we stop uh, that from, from happening, even if we can't maybe ourselves deal with the complexity of what gets somebody to that that point we understand you know that the actual act is a, is a practical one and, and there are ways to prevent that from from happening and out of that is where the, the phrase that you know is used a lot that most suicides are preventable comes from it it's 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 about that practical act um but i soon realized that you know when i was talking a lot about suicide and sharing uh, this uh, information that that we, we needed to have some kind of hope 
and and if you don't have a bit of hope at, at the end of the journey then all you're doing is talking about suicide itself which as we know is is definitely not the most cheerful of subjects to be talking about a lot whether it's on LinkedIn or podcasts but but I think you know I've spoken to enough people now over the last um 14 months um and uh, 15 months as long as I've been doing this um where there's been people like yourself Rory that, that that have gone through that journey have attempted have come out the other side um and have gone on to rebuild their lives um invariably they've had support um, or, or a moment in time or something like that that Im impacted them. Um, but there are enough stories um, and e enough evidence that tells me one thing, and that is that most people who attempt suicide do not want to die. They simply want to uh, get rid of the pain that they themselves are experiencing or somebody else is experiencing. The challenge most times is they run out of hope at that moment. Uh, and if we can provide them with some hope at that moment, then that invariably means we've got to be there. And unfortunately, we can't always be there, as Mike and I have, have discovered. Um, but there are enough stories out there that there is, there is hope. It's just about sometimes it's about timing. Sometimes it's about luck. But it's, it's more important than that. It's about as people are moving towards that journey, being able to give them the support and hope that I think a lot of people are not receiving, certainly not from the system at the moment. 100%. Mike, anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, I'd just like to say, first of all, that, you know, I'm uh, full of awe for what Steve has achieved and what he continues to achieve. Um, you know, in my own case, uh, despite everything, um, I believe that there was salvation out there for Ross, and I believe that there is hope for anybody who has been suffering in a similar way or uh, maybe is going through the same kind of, of thoughts that uh, Ross and, and, and Jordan must have gone through. Um, and also, you know, as I, as I said, that the fact that there is such a huge avalanche of of feeling out there for people in this situation. Um, and that, you know, there is this great thirst for, for opening up the whole subject, uh, the whole issue around uh, suicide. I, I believe that it is still very much a, a taboo subject for, for many people. And, um, you know, it's thanks, I think, to people like Steve that, uh, we are starting to open up. And if there's anything that gives me hope for the future uh, and light, uh, as you say, it is that we may reach a time where we speak about it in the same way that we speak about any physical illness uh, and that the mental health provision out there matches the scale of the, the, the problem. Uh, Ross was put on a, a six-month waiting list uh, for behavioural therapy and we have no anger as a family, we are not seeking to blame anyone, we recognise that the NHS is full of talented, devoted, dedicated people. Um, but I simply think that, you know, what's available out there uh, for people like Ross is simply not good enough and I hope that, you know, by doing my little bit and joining in the conversation, um, together with other people, we we can make a change. And one thing on top of that, like I'm here holding rosary, we've listened to this, like in the sense of spirituality, like, and don't just say you're joining the conversation, both of you guys. And the one thing that I would light that hope up for those of you that are listening on audio, Steve here is listening on uh, what I can only imagine is like a heaven like uh, situation where he's nice and bright and it's very optimistic, very hopeful, it's a very positive environment that I'm looking at. So maybe do you both want to see or share where the fundraising has gone so far? Um, because to be fair, both of you respectively have done um, separate uh, journeys, but uh, I'll let you steer that journey as well. I'm in my own beginning that I'm raising my own funds. Please God in time. And I say this from a patient point of view and being through inpatient treatment and all these other things, it's not cheap. Um, and even a point on a call earlier today, like, the simplest point even on hospitals yes they're good 
but there is a lot of change. Like even, for example, you could think of, say, some of the food, for example, if we're feeding the wrong um, provisions to inpatients, like this could be physical or mental illnesses, uh, that's not helping. Uh, something as simple as the water, look, we can come back to these things. They're very, very simple things. Suicide in itself can be simplified. These are very heavy subjects that can be very, very simplified if they're brought down to a management level that are actually basic. And it's like anything, giving people the tools to understand, like as I'm holding the rosary beads, how to be, I suppose, connected to all parts of your life that you're looking after yourself, not just that you're physically looking after yourself or emotionally or spiritually, that you have that balance. Um, because like even the one thing that I saw today on a piece that I was sent over this morning was that you look at the phrase health, like it's nearly where it's expanded out to optimal balance. Um, so what I would like to even see there is, even if we're looking on that way, like have you guys any um, input in where that fundraising is going or like where is that journey of you guys giving back to raise money, et cetera? Wow, uh, there's probably about five questions in. Sorry, it's 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 a lot that <laughs> there is in that, but I suppose unpack it as you will, and we can take it as you need it. Yeah. And, um, okay. I've, maybe just winding back the clock because it's interesting. You, you talk about fundraising, and 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 that's got to be an important part of what I'm doing. You know, with the Jordan Legacy, the the, the charitable organisation that I've set up, and. Um, you know, initially, um, I, I believe, Mike, you, you did something very similar for Ross. We we set up a Just Giving page mainly to raise money donations for the for the funeral um, and uh, for the charity um, for Bind at the, at the time. And uh, um, so that's kind of where we, we we started, and then we kind of raised a reasonable sum of money. And and um, but um, uh, I, I suppose the fundraising is is has not been a major part of what, what I've been doing. The, the major part with the Jordan legacy is to try and put in place the, the the strategies and the plans that will help make a practical difference. Now, fundraising is important. In fact, I've got a meeting tomorrow afternoon with a lady who's talked about how we can capital fund the Jordan legacy. You know, it's sounding more like a business every day, but one of the things I, I realized very early on with a, somebody who's working very closely with me, Paul Vittles as a partner, he said, if we don't kind of treat this as a business, what we're doing, we won't achieve what we want to achieve. And, and what he meant by that was that there are a, a lot of fledgling charities, a lot of great organizations with a great sense of purpose and a mission with quite often people that have never been in business before uh, wanting to go out there and make a difference. And, and, and so many of them fall uh, because they're undercapitalized um, because they don't have clear, clear business plans. And, and, and I kind of got that as someone who's been involved in leadership and management development and working with organisations in terms of sales and business development, I kind of realised that if we didn't treat this in a very practical, logical way with, with clear objectives and have some funding behind that, then in a year's time we would have run out of money and all my aspirations uh, to make a difference would have just disappeared. So... Yeah, so we've got a meeting tomorrow to, to to talk about some significant capital funding. By now, I've, I've, I've kind of, in the last 14 months, been living off savings and a little bit of money uh, every so often that comes out of the charity. Can I afford to pay myself 600 quid here or something? Just some money. You know, I was in a fortunate position probably from that that respect, but, it, you know, it can't last forever and um, it's not sustainable if, if we aren't funded properly. So we, we've got a job of work to do in that respect. It's all part of the journey of life, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in financial terms, Steve is the New York Stock Exchange and I'm the little local corner post office, I think. Um, <laughs> Steve's way ahead of me uh, in that respect. Um, mine was just, yeah, uh, as Steve said, a, a fundraising page, a just giving page for uh, Ross's favourite charity, which is Calm, Campaign Against Living Miserably, who campaign specifically uh, to help uh, young men because, as we know, you know, suicide is the main killer of young men under the age of, of 45. Uh, every suicide is uh, a, a tragedy. Um, but I'd like to discover more about why 75% of, of suicides are by men. Um, and 
you know, see if there's anything that I can do to sort of help target that group in particular, uh, because I think that, again, we're reluctant to address that particular issue. Uh, we've managed to raise, um, you know, so far um, uh, around about £18,000 for uh, calm, which we're sort of very pleased about as, as a family. Uh, but in a way, you know, again, sort of similar to Steve, that's just one small part of the story. Um, my thing is, you know, I've been a journalist by profession all of my adult life and uh, publicity and awareness uh, are my thing, I guess. So if I have any any um, talent to, to give, um, and there's a big question mark over that, but um, it's, be so, hey. <laughs> it's, in, it's in talking to people and trying to uh, bring people together. Uh, I'm quite interested in the political side of it. I don't see a political discourse about suicide in this country. Yeah, we have a suicide minister now, but, um, you know, compared, for example, I don't know, since Ross died, I must have seen, uh, you know, at least half a dozen programmes about uh, weight and diabetes and all, you know, very, very important health issues. Um, I don't see an equivalent uh, range of coverage for mental health and suicide. And I think until we get to a place where we can uh, expect there to be equal attention and equal publicity for mental health, then, you know, um, we've still got sort of quite a long way to go in that respect. Uh, one of the things that I noticed about LinkedIn, the response from LinkedIn, is that I was contacted by chief executives, by trainers, by educators, by uh, people from all walks of life, all around the world. Um, there was one politician, one politician uh, made contact with me. And I pledge, you know, if they won't come to me, I'm going to go to them. I'm starting yeah. by talking to my local MP this week. And, um, you know, for me, that's uh, a, that's just a, a start. And then it's a very good point. Sorry, Steve, you want to come in there? Yeah, I was just going to say, Mike, you've had one more politician than me then. Um contact you um uh, i think it's interesting yeah if i can just pick up on a couple of things uh, and you know mike um you talked about being in awe of me but i you know i can't help but put myself back to to where you are now um in in the journey kind of three months on and, and i can do that very easily because i have a journal that i'll be writing and and each day i'm looking back at this day last year um, uh, and and I can see the difference in, in terms of where I am now from from where I was then. So, um, but to be you know out you know doing the interviews and doing what you're doing already um, is is quite incredible. I kind of hid behind a laptop a bit and, and LinkedIn in those early early days uh, to a large degree. Um, but um, uh, but I think there's a there's a huge opportunity for for people like Mike and myself to to work closely together. There's no question that lived experience carries an extra dimension to the debate. There's no question about that at all. Now I'm running um, mental well-being, mental health workshops um, to organisations and companies now. Um, be running another one tomorrow. But if I didn't start off that workshop with a photograph of Jordan and tell the story, I know it would not have half the impact that that um, it would have, you know, um, with, with that. Um, so, so that that is really important. But the, I, I have to say, I, I probably am seeing more discussion and programmes around mental health on TV than we saw a year ago. I think the Roman Kemp um, documentary was was fantastic. I think that was really good. Uh, you know, the BBC have now made a big effort now on the website to put mental health at the forefront there. Um, I see there's, there's, there's more and more um, starting to appear there. But but the political side, it, it's a really interesting one. Um, and, and I do understand Mike's desire to go down that route and find out just what is going on, because you can chuck as much money at this as you want. But if there is not a clear prevention strategy in place, you know, the moment the government has its, its five year forward plan to reduce suicide by 10 percent. Now, I don't know who set that ambition as a target, but I know in business that you probably want to be shooting for a little higher than 10 percent. 
or whatever your goals were. So we have this, what I would call institutionalized low ambition to begin with. And we're not even hitting that target, by the way. Um, it's, so it's, very, it's a very interesting point because like even just the point that comes to mind on the trailer that I've done for this uh, podcast is imagine a world that has eliminated suicide and mental health victims and walk and talk freely. And this actually brings a very interesting point to me. Uh, I wrote that actually when myself and Mike first spoke in hospital. Two things, um, and I want to leave this open for discussion because this is a very interesting point. The strategy, um, and I have a business idea. So the podcast actually is a launch for my own business software app for exactly what we're talking about. And I'll fill that out maybe in a few minutes, but I feel like I like this where we are at the moment. So strategy is the first thing in the sense of obviously both of you are respectively building out nearly a model like i suppose model strategy there's not much in the difference and then that avenue towards uh I suppose funding nearly through the politicians and um, as you're nearly talking about investing and um, so i suppose the question that derives from that then is like i'm very fortunate that uh i have nearly an episode please god in the next week coming on with politicians so this is good practice and that essence of how we could get like i have a local and a national representative so i suppose really really what we're trying to see is if we have the model, which I think we're not far off, you know, I'd easily see that as in the theme for this podcast, just to give it to you as we're talking and unpacking this, is uh, you have a triangle. So you have emotional, spiritual, and physical well being all together. So what would your model look like? Don't have you any thoughts on that, Mike, first? Because I'm doing a lot of talking, I'm aware of that. <laughs> Do you know what? It, honestly, I don't think I've got that far. Uh, Rory, you not not not, not 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 that not that you've got that far. Like, what do you think that you would need? Let's make it more specific. Wh where you are in the journey right now is more important. Like models and prevention and all that are aftermath or preventative. But what do you need as a father in the last six months that you feel this kind of exposure might be able to help for people that are in similar situations or that might be able to possibly even spot the signs? If someone isn't in a good place at the moment i think you know personally um it's a very simple thing really you know again as a journalist i've spoken to a lot of people over many years who for whatever reason have been uh, bereaved and um, i've always questioned myself when it's you know come time to to go and interview people in that position um and said well you know what can I say? What can I do? There's nothing I can say or do that is going to ease this person's uh, suffering um, because it won't make a difference. And one thing that I've discovered over the past several weeks is that, you know, it does make a difference. Just knowing that there are people out there who are willing to sort of catch you when you fall has made a, a, a big difference uh, to me. So that's, you know, taught, taught me something. Um, but the other thing, again, from a, a very personal perspective, is that I want to talk about Ross, I want to talk about the wider subject of uh, mental health, I want to talk about suicide, and I want to be able to talk about it freely, and I can't really do that, none of us can do that, unless we, as a nation, as a society... Uh, accept that there is no shame, that there is no stigma. You know, there's such basic things that we hear people talking about, but, you know, do we really, um, do we really take the effort to reduce that stigma? Again, sort of going back to, uh, to politics, are they doing enough to ensure that this massive pandemic, this massive global crisis actually um, is being talked about um, yet you've got to have the foundation of, of, of sound mental health provision but that's got to go hand in hand with an open transparent conversation we shouldn't feel squeamish but listen let, 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 let's add a bit of impact to this because there's a story coming behind this right as in you're talking about something you haven't done. Excuse me, Mr. McCarthy, in the sense that the story that I'm about to introduce here is one I let you say, but at the same time, coming with impact is suicide. So imagine that noose or someone like that is just there. You meet the body, right? Let's really get into it. 
in a sense that like me, I was swinging, I was jumping in front of trains, right? But if you stop and you connect with the person, introduce Muhammad Ali. Here's a story. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, you asked me uh, in one of our chats uh, who my... Uh, the best, in, well, it wasn't the best interview because I think the interview was probably uh, very poor on, on my part. Um, but I did meet Muhammad Ali and he was uh, an interviewee a long, long time ago, uh, back in, an, in another uh, life. And um, yeah, I think what you may be referring to, Rory, is, is the fact that what made this guy stand out for me... Exactly, yeah. ...as an awestruck young or younger reporter, not sure how young I was, but um, younger. And um, what, what struck me about him was that um, he put me at my ease and he, he made me feel like he was interested in me. And I've thought about this a, a lot, you know, since I, I did the interview. I, I regretted all my life not getting his autograph for a start, but that's a, that's a different story. Um, but just that he asked me about my life and my family um and it's i've remembered it all these years and i suppose just that that maybe small act on his behalf um has stayed with me you know and i suppose maybe it says something about a conversation is easy to have it, it it's actually quite easy to sort of reach out to somebody and yet you know I think that's really, really interesting, Mike, because uh, uh, sort of a moment of uh, coincidence here. I'm just coming to the end of Thomas Hauser's biography on Muhammad Ali. Ah, um, uh, here we go. <laughs> and uh, up in our loft, one of the uh, mementos we brought back from Jordan's house last year was uh, a beautiful uh, photograph, framed photograph that his mum and I got for Jordan on his 16th birthday. And we've uh, of Muhammad Ali and, and um, we've written on the back of that. But I, I, I can fully appreciate having read the biography, what you're saying about Muhammad Ali, a, a man who gave enormously, was taken advantage of enormously as well. But I think for me, what came across was he was someone himself on the face of it, a larger than life figure, but a very vulnerable figure in many respects who was prepared. Uh, and, and maybe because of that vulnerability, I think, um, because I can relate this to to Jordan, that um, you know that he would take an interest in others, a genuine interest. And you know, there's so many stories that I learned about Jordan after his death. A kind of, you know, your kids kind of keep a bit of a distance from you sometimes. Don't share everything, but in talking with his mates and um, and and things that Jordan was was doing regularly, if someone was in trouble. He was kind of the first one to be down there to, to, to help them. And, and I think, you know, just a small thing, though, but maybe this is relatable, kind of a couple of days before he took his life, he was walking around um, with, with Charlotte, just around the corner from where he lived. And um, this uh, old lady there was sweeping up the leaves off the main footpath there. Um, and uh, Jordan just stopped and, and thanked her. Uh, and said, you're doing a great job. And his mates would say, you know, we'd be out for a beer in Newcastle. And we'd, and we'd look around for Jordan. And there he was talking to a homeless guy while we're trying to get into the bar. And, and, and these were, I gotta say, these were sadly sides of Jordan I didn't know about. Mm. I, you know, I'd, I'd see when he'd come round to ours and or we'd go around to his and we'd have a meal or get together. And, but his mates saw Jordan. Um, you know, the I, adult, I, can, I, I can connect to that big time because I even popped into the florist here around the corner because I forgot to get it on time through for a bouquet of flowers here for my granny on Friday. Like gratitude, absolutely the same thing. The only way this should ever be said is you're looking down, uh, you should be looking down to help someone up. Like that's it. If the world could be that simple, oh dear lord, it would be an interesting place. The one part that I was getting intensely built up for, for those of you that are, are listening on audio, for my own intensity, just to give you an insight, uh, Steve, maybe Mike, we went through this before, we did, I think, uh, but just to rehash it, my intensity comes out on my head. So six years ago, the intensity broke out on my head, physically speaking, and I carry with me every day. It is literally like a blowtorch in my head, running around in a washing machine and a hurricane altogether. 
Um, I try and balance my emotions on happiness, sadness, and anger. And it is so turbulent, like seconds. So seconds out to build into the story, please don't feel like I'm probing, but I just want to get context on this because this is just personally me, curiously speaking. The intensity of what we're seeing up there, like with both of the stories, like I can run through this maybe myself just to lead the story and then see what you want to take and how you want to take it afterwards, maybe. As in that kind of, I wouldn't say game time because it, it isn't, but that's the phrase that comes to mind, unfortunately. Like it is trying to escape the pain. Like that is exactly what suicide is. You're right. It's so much not people trying to actually end their lives, it's trying to escape the pain. So to even snapshot it, like one of the questions that would have came to mind is like, Rory, what did it feel like lying on the track? Like the minute that you have the act through, or the minute you have that hope, or even when I was on the noose, even more so, and I could feel it tightening up. Like your mind just goes, Rory, you're 30. Like it just like it just your mindset just goes, what like you just get hit. Thank God I didn't fall, but like it's absolutely astronomical. And then the impact of that supportive wave around me, like I know saying this isn't as impactful as what it would feel like to someone listening to this. And disclaimer, like on this again, like none of us here are health professionals, we're purely sharing the story. But like what it has done to my family, both pre and post, it has ripped up everything. It destroys families, absolutely. And the grief, as you mentioned, Mike, like the level of how this impacts in life before or after, like people say, oh, you've no idea what the impact is like. Now that I've lived through it, I can see it. It breaks people, absolutely breaks them. But like, as you said earlier there, the foundation, if people are given a second chance, which I am so eternally grateful for, like my whole life is about nearly gratitude on steroids of how to do these things. It's just light a torch and get that hope up there. Like, let's get that Olympic flame over to Tokyo kind of thing this year, please God. At the same time, it's an amount of I'd say sheer will, you know, it's just pure luck, to be honest, that I'm still here in different ways. So what I'm trying to understand maybe is like from your side, like I remember one story when I was 2011 in Australia, in Sydney, I came across, so the whole thing probably say fed back 10 years. Uh, I saw, or we came across uh, an old housemate uh, on the block that we were living on. And he ended up topping himself or he hung himself for those who don't know that phrase. Anyway, my housemate at the time was from the UK and actually just shocked. Couldn't see like he went home, he left Australia, just the whole thing, whole world up, turned upside down. So it's not even the victim. It's the people and, and even use the word victim is wrong. So this is my next point. So what I was trying to see maybe before I come to the language, and I think Michael, you mentioned this maybe, or maybe the two of you were talking about this on the language of how maybe we might close out the conversation on that, but from the event itself, like pre and post events, like where does the story go for you? Because the first thoughts that come to me are just like sheer intensity. It's just like everything goes to narrow tunnel vision. You just cut through everything. And it's about nearly executing nearly on a game day. But thank God I didn't. It's so bizarre. Like. I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. And in a way... Rory, even though you know you know very deep pain, it's it's reassuring to hear you and to have heard Steve say earlier that uh, people who do take their own lives um, do it primarily. It seems, and this is what I'm I'm learning now uh, since we lost Ross, uh, they do it to get rid of the pain and don't even necessarily want to die and you know one of the we, we've tried very hard as a family not to um, go down the route of what if this and you know what if if that um, that said questions have emerged even though we've been sort of trying to avoid that kind of direction of travel and um, I, I know for example that Ross's fiance Charlotte in particular uh, feels very strongly this if he loved me why did he leave me um, kind of ache um, 
and it's very very difficult you know i i, I have i certainly have no answers in uh, as to where it's going to leave us as a family all i know is that nothing has ever been uh so hard um i think our lives have changed forever i don't think they'll ever be the same again um i'm talking now hopefully rationally but you know yesterday i wouldn't have been able to uh, have this conversation um i take comfort from people like steve who have told me that you know although the the pain is always there uh, that you learn how to deal with it um and i just hope that you know as a family we're very close and we always have been uh, we talk a lot um and i just hope that you know um despite this incredible blow to the whole family and ross's kind of community as it were his family and friends um that we can uh stay close and that it doesn't have the effect of of driving us apart because i know in some families that 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 is the case very well said and just a bit of plaudit here and a huge bit of compassion as well and empathy because uh, for those of you who don't know, um, myself and Mike spoke on a call offline, I suppose, uh, just prior to him teeing up my press release. And very grateful for all this again, Mike. You know, we've been through this. Unbelievable what he's done for me so far. He's done so much work for me. But uh, there was actually, Steve, you may not have seen this, um, Barry McGuigan, another boxer recently. His daughter did, uh, unfortunately, lose her life. Uh, to cancer and he was on the uh, local show here nationally uh, called Late Late Show recently and Michael very very in a very vulnerable state told me the story about Ross and like Michael to those of you listening or watching this Michael was so brave like incredibly honourable and Ross would be absolutely thrilled with how you're carrying on his legacy um, and i leave that over to you steve yeah i think i just like to pick up on a you know a few points that that, that um mike was making there you know the the, the what ifs um let's start start with that you, you will have them look you you've got you wouldn't be human if you didn't think well surely there was something i could have done I think as time has gone on, I've kind of um, accepted the more we've learned and we found journal, uh, Jordan's journals that he'd written over the last several years where, you know, unbeknown to us, he was he was talking about suicide five, six years ago um, and written it out in a journal. You know, today I've been researching methods and I've found this way. And, and you know, we had no, no idea. I mean, just for context, Jordan had bouts of depression depressive episodes so he wasn't in a con continual spiral but um um so um you know you, you can kind of know that a lot of things were hidden from us so a lot of things that we, we couldn't have done and i think what what makes me so passionate about doing what i'm doing now uh and let's come back to what mike said about the conversation around suicide has to happen is that despite what other people will say to me if I knew what I knew now about how to spot the signs and about how to take any appropriate action, 17 months ago today, I would have been having a very different conversation. 100%. There's, no question, there's no, no question about it because I didn't understand issues around mental health. And, 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 to be, and to be honest, I'll be straight up with you guys. Uh, the business, as I mentioned, that I am currently seeking funding for, and I'm not trying to advertise this, is not a medium for that, but the business is a software application that was derived from, as you say, nearly the strategy earlier that's just simply not there. The need is too great for this. It's just beyond the level of, an exercise now to try and launch a podcast to do good. This is business. Like, it, as you said earlier, needs to be treated like a business as I am with the podcast and as I will with the application, as I do myself. That's the most important thing. I treat myself like a business and that's how it works. It's got to be, a, it's got to be a business with heart. 
Rory, that's what it is. But that's the thing. That that's where the vulnerability comes from. The raw, authentic drive, the intensity. Like to be fair, I could drive the intensity on this level of the conversation through the roof if I needed to. I won't. But it's like anything in a positive sense. Like I've so much energy in that level that I've no problem, and I know I will have no problem in general getting this off the ground. Mm. The same thing, as you said, is like there's a great law out there uh, called the law of diffusion of innovation that where we're nearly going now is down through the early adopters. So what we need to do is try and help the large majority in the sense of trying to, as you said, maybe identify early warning signs or whatever it might be. Like even depression is an early warning sign. All these things can pivot down really quickly. One of my family members recently over the last years has been flawless. He stepped in and essentially said, right, Rory, whatever is on your mind, get out with it. I don't care what it is. Same with a therapist. Whatever is in your head, get it out. Even for the nature of how my mental disorder type stuff goes, even this is teeing up my last point that we'll close out the conversation with is the stigma. Like, this is the problem. Like, no matter how much money we put behind this, no matter how much we drive it, the biggest obstacle is in the way be it with restrictions or whatever it might be, just limitations. Like we won't be able to get to the large majority without the likes of the HSC in Ireland or the NHS in the UK, like coming on board with this journey. So Mike, essentially, I think this was nearly where you were talking about predated language. Do you want to maybe bring this point in? I think you're more rehearsed on this one, but essentially it's a fantastic piece. Sure. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, uh, th this is the uh, LinkedIn post that I uh, referred to earlier. Um, I didn't genuinely think that it was uh, anything that, as I say, would be of interest to more than, you know, maybe a dozen people at, at, at most. And, uh, you know, I've spoken about the reaction and, and what that's told me. Um, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier about uh, the, the, the stigma as you just sort of raised there, Rory, and the fact that now, 60 years on from suicide being decriminalised, it was decriminalised in 1961, 60 years on we still talk about um, people committing suicide in the same way that we talk about committing murder or committing rape. Um, one thing that my son never did was uh, commit a crime. And I think that, you know, again, as a journalist, I, I, I never regarded myself as being particularly politically correct. And I think language should be open. And I think as a society, sometimes we can be too prescriptive uh, about the language that, that people use, sometimes for good reason, sometimes less so. I believe but to use that kind of language about suicide makes me think that if we haven't moved on from that the language of the dark ages basically then you know there is so much to do if if we can't get that right then you know what hope do we have in improving uh, the uh, openness and the transparency in talking about suicide? What hope do we have in providing better mental health uh, provision? Because, you know, we can talk about it all we like, uh, but the if we don't improve the resources uh, the, from the NHS, then we'll be fighting a losing battle because Ross approached various um, organizations and he went through the NHS um, trying to get help for a long, long time. I regard him as having had cancer of the mind. I regard him as being a person who had a terminal illness. You do not put a personal person who has a terminal illness on a six-month waiting list. Um, and I think that you know, if we don't get that. And, and, even, and even on top of that, before Steve, maybe uh, we come to you and then I'll give you guys maybe your final thoughts. Uh, Ross had COVID, yeah? 
He did, yeah. He had um, um, COVID um, not that many weeks before he died. And it's interesting that there's research in the very early stages, uh, I think this is from Oxford, that suggests that uh, COVID might well have uh, exacerbated any underlying uh, mental health conditions such as uh, depression. Uh, we don't know. Um, you know, I mean, COVID didn't kill Ross. Uh, there were no physical manifestations of it at the time that he had it. Um, but we know that, again, it, it had a bearing on the weight that he was already carrying. It added to the burden that he was already uh, carrying. He couldn't get married, for example. He couldn't see his family. The last time we saw him uh, in the flesh was at Christmas. Uh, we spoke to him virtually every day, FaceTime, but it's not the same, is it? Um, he was very sporting and active, his gym was closed, he couldn't take Charlie, his little son, to swimming lessons, and, and in his farewell letter he said, I guess this is what happens if you lock somebody up uh, for long enough. Um, so, you know, that, that's a, a sort of separate issue maybe for, for another time. Um, but yeah, that, that's the, you know, if, if I sort of have no other message to 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 give um i hope that politicians get get on board that they change the course of the conversation that we've been having for the past 60 years um and that the health service provision is improved dramatically steve yeah i think i think to add to that and then you know if we if we look at the system and, and the way it's operated at the moment i mean i've had conversations with people this week uh, who've been struggling and one example particularly of, of someone literally at his wits end trying to get support from the mental health service and, and finally being put through from the crisis line having had a previous attempt at suicide to the crisis line who then put him onto a local crisis centre and in their words say I'm sorry we can't help you at the moment we're at over capacity can you do some breathing exercises um to the way we deal with the post event and, and Mike's mentioned the language I've been talking about this language of committed suicide for, for a long time again something that 16 17 months ago I, I didn't have a clue about so I've learned so this is about education uh, of people but let's look at what happens when someone takes their own life who is the first responder it's family, the police. Fa or a family member, I'd say, to be fair. Maybe. Well, well, no, the first responder to come out officially. Oh, sorry. Yeah, as in, sorry, yeah. the first official. Yeah, sorry. Police, it's uh, the police. It's not the medics. It's, it's the police. So we still have this criminality almost around that event if the police are the first responders to, to come out. So I think we have to, you know, we have to destigmatize by by changing some of the processes and, and systems that, that are there without question. And kind of on a, on, a, on a final note, you know, coming back to this this whole point, that if, if we can understand that that it, it is about people wanting to get out of their pain, you know, Jordan left two, two short notes um, in a notebook, one to Charlotte and one to us as his family. And, you know, he just said, I'm sorry, I, I know what this is going to do to you, but I, you know, I have to do, this is the only way um to help me deal with the thoughts that are literally showing me no other way <laughs> take your time take your time yeah literally showed me no other way out and, and that's what we've got to deal with and that's very brave of you steve and i'll help you here on this one that um there is ways out like even i have a coach on a thursday that i do paradigm coaching with for those of you who don't understand the paradigm it's simply changing your thinking. Like obviously, obviously, this is after you know two years of very deep work, and this is ongoing, and all the rest of it. I said the first responder, even here a month ago, um, Steve, the first time I sat in Michael spoke, I was an inpatient. Uh, I was in hospital, but I was detained for the level of launching this podcast on my language that had been put up on social media. So again, as you said, this just shows you where we are in the journey. But thank God, gratefully, I am here now versus 40 odd years ago, I would be locked away. That That's the brass tax of this, like literally speaking. Outlier, Rory's different, see you later. Mm -hmm. um, so 
on a final, I suppose, positive wave to maybe set the serenity on this, um, I always lift myself thinking I'm a child of heart. Hence where the nickname, that's my nickname, Riff Raff, where it comes from. So to tee up the level of the last point on this, and before I get into my silly mode, essentially, uh, Michael, the one story that comes to mind, and maybe then Steve, if there's anything that comes from Jordan's side, would be uh, the story with Charlie, is it where the video, or say he's running around. Do you want to leave that final part and then we'll wrap it up? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's uh, fortunately we've got lots of uh, video footage of, of Ross and quite a bit of it featuring uh, his three-year-old son, Charlie, and uh, one in particular that I will treasure forever uh, is uh, one of Ross. Um, he set up a, uh, an obstacle court in the living room with cushions and sheets and all of that kind of thing for uh, for, for Charlie. Um, and it, it's interesting, actually, the um, that Charlie, I think probably of all of us, is the one who's been dealing with this best of all because he has a kind of matter-of-fact approach to it. There's none of the sort of stigma or the shame involved in his world. And... Um, uh, he just speaks very openly uh, about his his daddy. Uh, we have to hold our breath when he does, but um, you know it's kind of a sort of refreshing way of of dealing with the subject in in some ways. Um, and if I may, I'd just like to just sort of pick up on something that Steve said about go for it, go for it. the first responder. Um, Again, in Ross's case, yeah, it was the police, and they took away his farewell letter. There were six pages of, well, we didn't know what was in that six pages. Exactly. Same, exactly. For four days, we pleaded with the police because the one thing that we wanted more than anything in the world was some kind of explanation. We wanted to hear Ross's voice, and we spent four days discussing and wondering and fretting about what he'd said in the in the farewell letter and uh, when the police officer eventually agreed to let us have it back he said that his sergeant had uh, blocked it and, and told the police to hang on to it and again if ever there was an indication about the attitude and the approach we take as a society towards <laughs> mental health and suicide that is it it took us eight weeks Took us eight weeks to see those letters. Just un unbelievable. But on a, on a lighter note, Rory, because I know you're looking for a lighter finish. Um, oh, whatever, um, whatever comes to mind. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. no, it, it's, it's one moment. I, I remember that um, in December 2020, on the 4th of December, um, the anniversary, we all came together as a family uh, over in Morecambe on, on the West Coast um, uh, to, to come together and we... we, we stood by Jordan's grave and um, um, we were there and Danielle, his sister, Jordan's sister was there with her grand, uh, with her children and um, the youngest, which Samuel was four years old. And, and we all stood there, you know, those tears. Um, we were all, all very, very quiet. And we just stood there for a minute. And then Samuel looked up at his mum and said, can we go now? I'm bored. <laughs> So and a big smile suddenly appeared on the corner of everyone's mouths and we went, yeah, life kind of has to carry on sometimes. And it was a really quite an impactful moment um, just to remember that the, the living are still here and they've got a chance. Yeah. And if I might just jump in. Just go for it, go for it, go for it. Just quickly there, Rory, uh, uh, one of the, the reasons that I enjoy talking to you so much. Like, like, two, like two younger children trying to get their final words in before they have one. <laughs> hey, I'm a I've got to have the final words. <laughs> uh, it, one of the great things about talking to you is that you are living proof uh, that there is salvation. Uh, I respect Ross's decision, but I don't agree with it. I think that there was a life for him and talking to you uh, shows people that, you know, there is a very good and uh, uh, full life to be lived uh, by people who've gone through similar uh, experiences. I couldn't stay with that thought any longer in the sense that I am overwhelmed with gratitude in the sense of that piece. It's thinking of a life ahead, very futuristically speaking, but to stay present 
I think that word is nearly giving me the word essentially that this podcast opener launching the Riff Raff and Rory podcast is a gift to me having spoken to you both today and to anyone out there. And I know this will have a lot of impact both positively and negatively, but I am very, very humbly grateful for the time that you have given me today. And in honor of the two, with both Jordan and Ross respectively, they would be so, so, so happy looking down on you both today. And I'm very, very, very touched for the amount of work that you're doing. And I just like to say thank you so much for joining. Uh, thank you for inviting me, Rory. Appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome to my world, Riff Raff and Rory podcast. Episodes will be available every Monday and you can listen to the podcast on all podcast streaming platforms. Follow me on Insta, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. All of my handles are in the show notes. Thanks very much. Tune in next week. Thank you.